This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Let's begin by reading in Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 through 12. This is Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12. Jesus says, Do not be called a rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And so there's an obvious refrain, I think, in these texts. There's one teacher, one father, one leader, to whom every Christian must humble himself and obey. And sadly, that's just the opposite of much of the pattern that you see in the religious world today, right? It's usually individual men who are elevated to a position they have no business being in. Uh, Now, God does make room for leaders in the local church arrangement like shepherds, elders, pastors. But as far as who our ultimate loyalty and love belongs, well, there's only place for one of that kind of individual. And Jesus says it has to be him. And so people are more than willing to follow a preacher or an elder or a creed or a council or a pope or a church or a majority of churches even without ever following Christ. And and the tragedy is, is that many people believe they're following Christ when in fact their ultimate loyalty belongs to someone or something else. And that was nothing new that was happening in the first century as as well as we're going to see here in just a moment in first corinthians but you know the the best that any christian can do is preach faithfulness to the lord as it says in acts eleven twenty three, when i believe it was barnabas who came down there to antioch after it had been established he wants to encourage them And that was the message that he preached, faithfulness to the Lord. Barnabas was well-known. Paul was well-known. Of course, there were other uh, men who had come there previously and and preached and planted that church. But the Christians who came, the preachers who came afterwards, preached faithfulness to the Lord so that the Lord may save. And when a man's influence is such that people follow him instead of the Lord, even if that individual's teaching and their ways coincide with the Lord's way, the good that is done, even if any is done, is is short-lived. And we say, well, how can that be if everything is is all in line? If he's teaching what Jesus taught, if he's living the way Jesus lived, what what does it matter if if people are loyal to him? How can how can this be? Well, the the issue is it's a matter of the heart because followers of men are still primarily concerned with following and pleasing a man rather than being pleasing to God. Even if they agree with everything that that man says, which is uh, his teaching being from Scripture. In John chapter 12, this was part of the problem. In John chapter 12, Jesus warns here in verses 42 and 43. So this is John 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would be put not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from, from God. Right? So we can't have it both ways. 
love and loyalty to a man whose ways are God's ways is still one giant leap, one giant step removed from love and loyalty to God himself. And it always ends up the same with people in a local church like in Corinth, right? Paul calls them uh, calls them out on this in, in chapter 1 and verse 12. People who are crying out, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas or Peter and another saying, I am of Christ. And Paul says, were any of those individuals crucified for you? Of course, Jesus was, but that's exactly his point. He's wanting to reorient this group of believers who were all claiming to be Christians, and yet they had this fealty to these in individual men, and this was dividing dividing them, right? And so he's saying, what, he'll go on to say later in chapter 3, what is Paul and what is Apollos? We're just servants who uh, ministered the word to you, who, who taught you. I planted and Apollos watered. Right, but he, his point is is that we're all say, serving the same Lord. So stop elevating these preachers and these men to places they have no business being. And it's not always as black and white as you know we can see on the pages of Scripture in places like First Corinthians one. I mean, those folks had been duped, and again, they were sincerely thinking that they were followers of Christ. But Paul knew this had to be corrected, and. It can manifest itself, I think, in our time, or at least I've, let me offer you an example. Um, we'll say something like a preacher, I once read that a preacher, a certain preacher saved the church, quote, from premillennialism. So this, you know, a false false doctrine that, you know, the, the, the church is kind of a backup plan and the kingdom of Christ is yet to come um, in, in any ways. And that's a whole other podcast in, in and of itself. But the point that they were making is that this individual preacher had done so much work that he virtually, quote, saved the church from this false teaching. So fill in the blank with whatever you want there. And they went on to say, you know, it's a shame that now there's not a preacher with that same kind of influence to save the church from, you know, say institutionalism or Calvinism or whatever the, you know, again, fill in, fill in the blank. But, here, here's the thing. When we go down that road, we're, we're making the same mistake as those brethren in Corinth did. right? And, that's, and it's not to say that faithful preachers of the word don't do great work. They, they do, and they do have great influence. But no man or men, including preachers, has ever saved the Lord's church from anything. Now, a preacher can save himself and those who hear him, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.16, excuse me, 1 Timothy 4.16. But he saves himself and those who hear him only insofar as what? Insofar as he accurately handles and teaches and applies God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15. So, prove to be a workman of whom God is not ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So, those who hear the preacher are saved, provided only that they honestly and faithfully first vet his words and make sure that what he's actually saying is in the scripture. And then if it is, obey only the word of scripture. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, you have purified your souls and your obedience to the truth. So all who seek out and adhere to Christ's teaching will be saved. That's his promise. They're, and they're going to be saved from what? From the wrath of God. But they're also going to be saved from those false teachings. They're, they're not going to be 
uh, duped as they're rooted and grounded in the teaching of Christ. So they'll be saved from premillennialism, be saved from institutionalism, and all other errors and sins because the truth is what continually sanctifies those who submit to it. John 17, 17, right? Sanctify them in your truth. Jesus says your word is truth. And that's what that's what I'm driving at. And so the the challenge for us, you know, as we look inward and examine our own hearts, is to, you know, honestly probe and ask ourselves, okay, what what am I ultimately loyal to? What do I desire most? Is it truth or is it to have some association with this local group or building or preacher or eldership or organization or creed or whatever the case may be? You know what and you know we 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 have to ask ourselves and, and, and pray about it as well. Do I Am I willing to sacrifice everything but the truth? If any of those things that I, I, I mentioned on the on the list there that I went through, you could add more. If I ever am convicted that that runs afoul of what the truth actually is, can I let go of it? Right, N- Knowing that I can't have fellowship with, with such things and at the same time be honest with myself about what the Bible is teaching. You know, there's a lot of holy hucksters that charge through the land and cyberspace and they all have their particular brands and their what you know what they're known for and they wave their banners and they love to receive glory from one another uh and and you know have this reputation that they're saving quote saving the church but my point is and what scripture is telling us in places like first corinthians one is that the church already has a savior and all we can do and what we must do is stir up greater love and respect for him. As John the Baptist said in John 3 and verse 30, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. I just got to keep saying that over and over and over again. Right, John, everybody who knew who John the Baptist was, I mean, he was a man of repu- reputation. And, you know, people admired him and and they went out to the wilderness for crying out loud to go and hear the message that he was preaching. But when Jesus came onto the scene, whom John the Baptist was preparing the way for, he says, oh, this is this is who I've been talking about all along. Here he is. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. Right. Go, go to him. Follow him. And that's the attitude we have to have. Christ can and does and he will continue to save souls the way that he always has. And that's one at a time. Right? It's, it's by individual love and loyalty and submission to him. And anybody who is willing to do that, he will save. So each of us must turn to the one Lord the one leader, the one teacher, the one savior, and then teach others to do the same. You know, Paul, as a preacher of the gospel, he encountered all sorts of individuals who were trying to wield their influence to hurt Christians, lead lead them astray under the guise, of course, that they were actually doing God's will. And he, he encountered people everywhere like that. He says in Galatians 2.5, though, in, on one on one occasion, when he encountered those folks, he says, "We did not yield in subjection to them, even for a moment, 
so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. And so he consistently opposed these people. And notice his reason for doing this. Again, emphasize that so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. And so had these men, these false teachers who, you know, are are distinct from maybe some individuals who may be innocently, you know, garnering more influence in people's hearts than than they should. Uh, these these guys, that's exactly what they wanted, right? They wanted to have that influence and in, in power, and they were malicious in their intentions. But had they succeeded in adding their doctrine to the truth of the gospel and convince people this is what they needed to, like being circumcised or whatever else they were trying to convince people of, then it would no longer be the gospel, however much they wanted to call it that. Only the pure gospel, unpolluted and entire, is what saves because it points us to Christ. But when it's mingled with any other teaching or ideas that are not from Christ and mingled with the ideas of men, well, then it becomes tainted, and thus it becomes ineffective. And Paul was dealing with issues like uh, circumcision. We might scratch our heads and think, well, why, you know, why in the world was that a, a big deal? But in, in the first century church, it, it was when you had these uh, Jews and Gentiles coming together for um, the first time under this one new covenant. There was uh, some confusion. Some people had some, some doubts and concerns about, well, how much of the old law is still intact and do I need to be circumcised and and do you know so it was so it was a big deal in the, in the Jewish mind and and to an extent they tried to impose it a lot of them tried to impose it upon gentiles but Paul is saying no not not this or anything else needs to be carried over now he made some provision and we're kind of getting off in the weeds here um but in Rome, places like Romans chapter 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 he made some provision for uh, people to um, observe the scruples that that they had. You know, if they could not, in good conscience, uh, eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, Paul said, "But don't don't do it." You know, even though it's it makes no difference to God, if it violates your conscience, however, then don't do it. Um, so, you know, there he he made that allowance, but for someone to say, um, as you know, these teachers that he's addressing in Galatians chapter 2 to say, well, no, you can't be saved and you can't be right with God unless you do X, Y, and Z, when X, Y, and Z were not part of the gospel, were not conditions that Christ had laid down, well, then there's an issue, right? It's, it's They're adding to God's word. So submission to only some of God's truth is not enough. Trying to add to God's truth is certainly sin, but it... it it is only God's word that will determine, that can determine every decision and every duty that we have. And if I'm not willing to submit to all of God's truth, then I don't really submit to the truth at all, right? I may, I'm, I'm just kind of being a selective listener or doer of the word. But the biblical pattern is oppose any notion, any notion. Contrary to the gospel of Christ and any teaching that says, well, the gospel is just really insufficient and we need to add a few things more here. We need, we need to update it. We need to modernize it and things like things like this. That's that's always been an issue. But the truth is, 
is that God provides us with all things we will ever need to know about how to be pleasing to Him. If you believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, then you won't have any issue with what I just said, because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 teaches that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction, training and righteousness, so that the man of God can be complete, lacking nothing, and be prepared for every good work. Right? That, that means exactly what it says. It's all here to make us complete. Now, you're going to eventually encounter someone who's going to insist that the gospel, again, has to be revised in some way or modernized or filtered through some human creed or manual, you know, to be accessible to, to, you know, it has to be reduced down that, you know, and that's just par for the course in denominationalism, but don't yield to that. Even for a moment, don't be ever satisfied with a reduction of, of truth. The spiritual strength of individuals and churches is reflected in their regard for the truth and the Christian who truly loves and respects the truth will seek to join himself with people of who, who see it the same way, who have that same love and appreciation. And maybe they are, are few in number. You know, there's just a handful of them. Maybe they were meeting in a remote place under a tree somewhere. But the those external marks or metrics, their numbers, where they meet, that's it's just trifles compared to their love and loyalty for the truth, their dedication to to do what God has called them to do, and only that. So preach and teach the pure gospel of Christ, nothing more, nothing less, lest he depart from you. It is his means of sanctifying us, setting us apart to do his will. That's his, that's his whole purpose. As Paul teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, and 8, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God and the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. He desires for us to be holy, to set apart for to be set apart for His use. And rejecting God's purpose for us as it's revealed in the Word is, as Paul says, it's to reject Him personally. Older translations say we, if we reject His purpose, we despise Him, or literally we unplace Him. And so it's this intense... Whether we recognize it or not, it's it's like an intense, deep hatred of something or someone. And we don't use that word very often, despise, or at least I don't know anyone who, who does. Uh, but, you know, it's the idea that Paul is capturing here is that we're so averse to something that we can't stand the thought of it. And as with so many things, it's not going to be couched in those terms, right? The, the devil loves to muddy the waters and create gray areas where God has not. And say, well, you look at all the good these people are, are doing, and uh, the, you know they're good employees, and they're good moms and dads, and you know they are compassionate and empathetic toward people, and they're generous, and so on and so forth. But right, he wants to, he wants us to conflate standards in in our mind, and to for us to rest on our own judgment. But that's the point is is not how good or thoughtful or humble anyone is, but whether or not they're submitting to the Word of God. That's the measuring stick for me. Do I submit all of my heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God? And when I find that I'm not, do I do everything in my power to fix that? 
so that I'm not despising God. So I'm not rejecting his purpose for me. The Bible will use um, this, this word in Thessalonians interchangeably with words like reject and contempt. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, If I'm a master, God says, Where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. And remember what they were doing in Malachi was offering less than their best. They were bringing the poor and the lame and the sick animals to be sacrificed, and they were just going through the motions, and it wasn't you know, their, their heart wasn't in it, and their worship reflected that. David was guilty of the same thing when, when Nathan came to him in 2 Samuel 12, and he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Right, David was regarded as, as a good king, and, and he was, generally speaking. Um, but I mean, in, in the particular context and moment of 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan is confronting him about his adultery with Bathsheba and then the subsequent murder of her husband to try and cover everything up, um, he says, you've despised the word of the Lord. So knowing how the Bible qualifies people who reject the word of God, does that change our perspective? Does it give us some clarity how seriously we need to take what God is saying to us? Because countless people make the mistake of failing to do that very thing, to see the Bible for what it is. You know, human tendency is to view folks who are indifferent or, you know, the technical term sometimes used as agnostic, you know, kind of being in that gray area, maybe so, maybe not, I, you know, I'm not sure. As, there, as, as individuals, those kinds of individuals who are just kind of harmlessly vacillating at, at best, but not outright hostile, you know, not atheistic, not, but, the, but that's not how the Bible presents people. That's not, that's not how it talks about us. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. So to live apart from God's purpose, if God's purpose is for us to be holy and sanctified in Him, and and someone who's vacillating, you know, as we think, quote, harmlessly, and they're just not sure, who's living apart from that purpose, well, that is to be hostile toward Him. To, to remain separated from Him is to remain unforgiven, and thus it is to remain His enemy. Romans 5 and verse 10. While we, will get, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still helpless. And so His truth, the sacrifice of His Son and the grace that He offers, they're not superfluous propositions extended to people who are just, you know, just kind of un, unsure, but they're kind of okay. And if they accept the gospel, well, then it'll make them better and enhance they're already okay record. No, that's that's not it. That's not how Scripture sees us at all. Jesus Christ didn't come to die on a cross to make good people better. He came to save us from all of our sin. He came to save us from the wrath of God that we're all incurring so far as we're so long as we're apart from him. All of us. And so anyone who refuses him, however graciously they refuse him, remains under God's wrath. They have not submitted to the one rabbi, teacher, leader, 
Savior. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. All things are possible with God, including this. He made living a holy life possible through the forgiveness that we find in Christ. So the question for you and me is, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? And you've heard me say it before on this program, God gives specific answers to that question. When people heard this message for the first time and were cut to the heart in Acts chapter 2, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's just the beginning. 1 John 1, seven tells us that we, if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And John goes on to describe exactly what he means in verses 8-10. through 10, Confessing our sins, not denying it, but being honest continually that we need Him, and confessing those sins so that He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how He made it possible. You can't do it on your own. You can't be holy and blameless before God without Christ, without forgiveness. So what do you need to do to be reconciled to Him? If you have repented and, and have been baptized, but you've, you've fallen out of the way, you've wandered from the truth, well, you can still repent now and pray for forgiveness, just as Simon the sorcerer did. He was a new convert. He'd been baptized, but he thought that he could buy God's power with money, and that was sinful. And he was told he needed to pray and repent. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, well, then Peter's words apply to you. Repent and be baptized. That means immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. So don't waste any time. Do what must be done today. Appreciate you tuning in.